The following program is paid for by Busey Bank. It's time for Money Talk, your chance to call in and receive answers to all your financial questions, from investment management to planning for your retirement and beyond. The experts at BC Wealth Management are here to help, so you don't have to navigate these difficult financial decisions alone. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. Call in now, 356-9397. And now here is Money Talk. All right, good morning and welcome to BC's Money Talk. I'm your host today, Aaron Sutton. I'm a portfolio manager here at BC Wealth Management located in Champaign-Urbana. And today I've got two very special guests with me. I've got Zach Hillard. He's a chartered financial analyst charter holder, and he's our chief investment officer here at BC Wealth Management. And I also have Dries Dernay, who's becoming quite the regular on the show. He may be familiar to some of you listeners. Uh, he's a newly certified financial planner. Uh, just got that a few days ago, so congratulations to Dries. And he's a financial planning Thank specialist uh, here at BC Wealth Management. So good morning, fellas, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Aaron. Great to be here. Hey, good morning, Aaron. All right. So as always, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, so I don't want to waste too much time before we get into it. But uh, we're going to start with Zach and give our market update uh, like we typically start off with. And Zach, as I look at my screen today, I'm seeing a lot of green across the board. Uh, looks like markets are doing pretty well. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, it looks like the S&P 500 may be hitting a new all-time high as we talk uh, this morning. So things are looking pretty good out there. So if you don't mind, maybe just uh, bring us up to speed on uh, what you're seeing out there and maybe uh, what the returns have been so far here year-to-date in the U.S. Yeah, sure. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Um, yeah, definitely seeing a lot of green on the screen today, a lot of that coming, uh, you know, really – uh, from some really encouraging economic uh, data that, that we, we received this morning. And I'll, I'll get into that uh, a little bit more later. But, um, but really, you know, if, if you think back a year ago from, from today and kind of what we were dealing with, uh, pretty remarkable, just the, the recovery we've seen in the market and the economy. Um, you know, if, as, the, as the markets are concerned, if we go back to really the, the low set back nearly a year ago, a, l- a little further than that, uh, back to March 23rd when we did hit that, that low, um, the S&P 500 is, you know, well, this is at least through the, the first quarter of this year, is up 80% since that time. Um, wow. Mid and, mid and small cap stocks are up over 100%, with small caps up 124% uh, going back to uh, – uh, March of, of last year. So just a, amazing recovery for sure. Um, a lot of those gains, you know, were generated back, you know, last year. But, you know, here in 2021, we've continued to see that rally uh, continue, which has been been great to see. Uh, first quarter, uh, the S&P 500 was up a little over 6%. But here just uh, halfway through April, the S&P is up already over 4%. That's not including the moves, you know, we're seeing today. They're adding another or two. Um, so a 10% year-to-date return for investors that have kind of stuck with, you know, that investment, at least in, in the S&P, if they have exposure there. But, but really, a lot of that's coming from you know, investor optimism just around the economy and what we're seeing there. 
how uh, we continue to see the, the economy strengthen uh, and how that should lead into improved earnings uh, going forward, which should support these equity prices and, uh, and hopefully drive uh, stock prices higher in the future. So that's all great to see. You know, I, I think one of the main factors has been the rollout of the vaccine uh, and how that's really helped open up the economy. Uh, just according to the CDC, uh, if you look at the population of the U.S., it's 18 years or older, 30% uh, of, of that group is now fully vaccinated, uh, with nearly 50% having at least one dose. So, you know, with those uh, that have been vaccinated, you know, that's really bringing down uh, the COVID numbers and the reported numbers that we're seeing uh, down substantially from this winter. And that's really allowing areas of the economy that have been shut down really over the past year to, to really start opening up again. Some of the hardest hit sectors being the travel industry, uh, leisure and, and restaurant industries. Um, you know, American Airlines just a couple weeks ago reported that uh, you know, flight bookings are back at about 90% of where they were uh, pre-COVID. So more, more and more people traveling each day, which is great to see. And then also hotel uh, occupancy rates, although they fell 69%, uh, you know, from where they were prior to the pandemic to the lows, they're now just off uh, 15% um, from where they were prior to the pandemic. So all in all, things are moving in the right direction. You couple that with just the amount of uh, government stimulus we've seen to help support the economy and the markets. That's been remarkable, but just in, in March, getting an additional $1.9 trillion in stimulus, really, again, helping going to support uh, individuals, uh, you know, companies and government entities. You know, what that's really doing is putting more money in people's pockets uh, and really giving uh, consumers more spending power. And that's really important because it's that spending power and, and consumer spending that really drives the majority of the economic activity here in the U.S. It really makes up about 70% of the GDP for the U.S. Um, and consumers really have been using that money and spending. We just got a report this morning looking at retail sales for March. Uh, retail sales were up 9.8%, which was well ahead of expectations. And you'd have to go back to May of last year to see a number better than that. And that was coming off the time when there were essentially no sales back in, in April. So things looking good. Uh, consumers are getting out, uh, using that money uh, to spend that's driving more economic, or I should say manufacturing activity. Some of the latest numbers we received uh, from the Institute of Supply Management show that manufacturing activity is, is at its highest level uh, going back to 1983. Uh, at least it was wow. uh, for March. Pretty remarkable. And the service industries are really showing that, that same strength. Um, the, the, the index reading there was at its highest level uh, going back to 1997, and that's when they, they began kind of you know, recording or, or taking records. So manufacturing doing very well, service industry doing well, and that's leading into more uh, you know, companies uh, looking to hire, which is all, also very beneficial to the U.S. economy. Uh, we still have about 8.5 million people that are, that, that are out of a job, that had a job prior to the pandemic. So there's still definitely more room for improvement and, and some, you know, more, more we have to do there to get those people back to work. 
but just in March alone, uh, more than 900,000 new jobs were added uh, to the economy. And again, that kind of goes back to that consumer spending and the importance of consumer spending that I mentioned to get the economy going. Um, as more people uh, are able to, to, to find a job, it provides them a little more stability within their, you know, for their financial situation, gives them more confidence to actually get out and spend, and that could help kind of propel uh, the economy uh, further into the future. So that's, that's all good to see. Um, but I have to say, it, you know, it also uh, I talked about the S&P 500 a lot, but it's really been small-sized businesses and, and stocks have really done quite well this year uh, here in the U.S. They're actually outperforming uh, the S&P 500 year-to-date uh, with the small-cap companies really leading the way, up 14% year-to-date. Uh, Mid-cap companies are up uh, a little over 12% year-to-date. So, um, you know, that's that's it's very broad based I would say even if we look internationally now you know, some of the international countries um, it's been more difficult to get the vaccine distributed and they're dealing with uh, you know heightened cases of, of COVID but uh, regardless uh, some of the international markets have provided you know, good returns for investors so far this year as well uh, with uh, the international developed uh, market uh, up nearly 7% year-to-date. The emerging markets are, are up about 4%. So all in all, you know, stock investors should be you know, pretty happy and uh, those quarterly kind of statements that they may get or even just looking today, um, numbers should look quite good in, in their portfolios. Yeah, I would say so, Zach. And you, you kind of hit on this in your comments there, but what I've been amazed by is just the speed of this recovery. Um, and I think it it goes to show you just how difficult markets are to time around events like this, because I think if you're an investor and we got hit with this pandemic and you said to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to wait till cases improve, till we get a handle on this thing. Well, as you just pointed out, you would have missed this huge rally that we just experienced, uh, as you said, even over a hundred percent returns uh, in the last 12 months. So uh, I think it's a good illustration of, why markets are so difficult to time in the short term and why uh, we do take that long-term approach here at Busey. Um, now, it looks like we've got uh, just about five minutes before our break or so. Uh, we've talked a lot about the stock market already and just how good things are there. Uh, like you said, I think uh, if you're a stock investor these days, you've got to be really pleased uh, with what you're seeing on your statements because uh, you pretty much could have thrown a dart. Uh, and like you said, all markets are looking pretty good. Uh, so far year-to-date and really over the last year. Uh, but in the last few minutes here, maybe what I want to do is shift gears just a little bit, uh, maybe talk about the other major uh, side of the market, and that's the bond market, because uh, things maybe aren't quite as rosy uh, when we look at that area. So, Zach, maybe if you could just kind of bring us up to date on what we're seeing there, and also, too, maybe if you could just kind of weave in uh, maybe what we're doing for our clients uh, in this type of bond environment. Sure. Yeah, you're right, Aaron. Yeah, the, the equity side of the portfolio looks looks great. If you do have you know bond investments, that's where really there's been a little more pressure, and, and have seen some negative returns here today. That's really kind of more within the bond market, and that's really you know coming uh, you know really due to you know the rising interest rates that we've seen uh, so far this year. Now, last year, you know, uh, 
interest rates really plummeted. Uh, the Fed cut the Fed funds rate to zero percent. That kind of influences interest rates and, and, and drives them lower. But they're also buying a massive amount of, of bonds to keep rates low to help kind of stimulate a, a, the economy um, and, and allow for, for a cheap source of funding uh, for those that could tap the bond markets or the debt markets. Um, but as the economy has uh, started to rebound, you know, we've seen uh, more of a concern about inflation. And so, you know, as demand picks up and we see more demand for goods and services, we tend to see, you know, the prices of those goods and services uh, tend to rise as well. And so inflation can really have a negative impact uh, on, on bond investors. And so bond investors and, and those that are looking to invest in bonds tend to demand a higher rate of interest if inflation is rising. So, for instance, if 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 uh, the Fed does achieve its inflationary goal of 2% and in inflation rises to 2%, but you have a bond, and, and for instance, a 10-year treasury today just yields 1.55%, but if you have a bond only yielding 1.5%, but inflation uh, in goods and services are rising at 2%, then you're actually over that period of time that that money is going to actually lose its purchasing power. So uh, bond investors will kind of require a higher rate of interest on those bonds, and as interest rates rise, that has a negative impact on on bond prices today. So you know the way we're really combating that within our our portfolios is one area I think you can uh, really get hurt when it comes to rising inflationary environments is having exposure to very long dated or long term bonds where we really stick to more of a short to intermediate term strategy. Now, we have uh, bond terms and maturities that are staggered in nature. So you really have bonds constantly coming due within your portfolio. And, and should in inflation or interest rates rise, you know, the proceeds from those bonds that are maturing can be used to reinvest back into the higher rate environment. And those higher rates can help offset some of the pressure uh, and actually you can benefit from those rising rates. So if you don't extend out too far as far as the term goes of those bonds, that's way to, one way to protect yourself. Um, you know, one of the really worst investments too you can make is just staying in cash. Um, and I think a lot of investors today just concerned of, uh, for a lot of reasons, but, but cash tends to be uh, one of the worst places to be in a rising uh, inflationary environment. So, um, you know, I think sticking with your asset allocation, taking that long-term approach that you mentioned is really kind of uh, the approach to take. And I should say, too, that, you know, many investors may be in, uh, concerned about kind of even equity prices. But if we look back over the last 30 years in rising inflationary environments, equities have actually done quite well as many of those companies can really, you know, pass on those higher costs uh, to their customers and offset some of the pressure that way. So, um, all right. Well, thank you, Zach. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great summary of, of kind of what we're seeing on the fixed income side and, and what we're doing for our clients. So why don't we go ahead and take a break here? And when we come back, we'll talk to Dries and we're going to talk about life insurance today. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that topic after the break. There's a lot to look forward to growing your family, opening your own business, retiring to travel, leaving your legacy. Busey Bank knows there's a lot of planning along the way. 
Busey is here to help you celebrate your life's milestones by putting your money to work with thoughtful advice, trusted resources, and proven results. Busey's right beside you. Learn more at Busey.com. Member FDIC. Ensuring peace of mind, expanding business, building strong communities. Realize your financial dreams with Busey Bank. For more than 150 years, Busey's built a foundation of broad financial capabilities, vast knowledge, and close relationships that span generations. You can realize your best future. Busey's right beside you. Member FDIC. All right. Welcome back to Busey Money Talk. I'm your host, Aaron Sutton, today, and I've got Dries Dernay and Zach Hillard with me as well. Um, and in the second half of the show here, we're going to talk with Dries, uh, talk a little bit about life insurance, uh, maybe disability insurance if we have enough time as well. So I think this is a huge topic uh, for most of our listeners out there. This is something that uh, most people need at some point in their life. Um, and so really it kind of touches everybody. Uh, and it's a really critical thing to have to really protect yourself uh, and avoid some, you know, somewhat terrible situations. Uh, that can crop up. So uh, with that, I want to jump right into it uh, with Dries. So, you know, Dries, maybe just kind of set the table for us um, and just kind of give us a background of why people kind of need insurance for the first in the first place and really what the purpose of it is. Of course, yeah. Um, so we're not concerned with insuring all risk. When the probability of something negative happening is low, but the impact of it would be high, that's when you transfer risk to the insurance company by buying insurance. Um, if the impact is, is low of the risk, then we're less concerned with insuring that risk. For example, uh, you know, if there's a low probability and a low impact, you retain the risk. Think of, I mean, as a relatively young person, you know, the risk of me falling down is, is pretty low. And even if it happened, I probably have a scrape, so I'm just going to retain that risk. Um, as I get older, you know, the probability of me falling down might probably increases. So, that's when I'm going to try and reduce the risk by think of, for example, installing handrails in your bathroom. Um, and if there's a high probability and high impact, that's when you just avoid the risk. Um, for example, free diving, that's diving without use of oxygen. Uh, there's a high probability that something's going to go wrong. And if it does, it's probably fatal, right? Uh, so that's, you should then avoid that activity and the risk altogether. Um, life insurance is a prime example of when you should transfer the risk by buying life insurance. Um, as you're, I mean, especially while you're younger, the probability of, of, of passing prematurely is, is pretty low, but the impact on family, for example, would be quite high. So that's when life insurance is a good example of when you should insure uh, a risk and transfer it. Exactly. Now, Within life insurance, this is obviously a pretty big topic, and there's a lot of different products and a way to and different ways to insure out there. So, uh, maybe for our listeners that aren't too familiar with this topic, uh, again, maybe just uh, kind of set the stage on what are some of the different ways to insure uh, for life insurance, and what are maybe some of the pros and cons of each, if you will. Uh, so, generally, um, you can make distinction between term versus permanent insurance. If the risk that you want to insure against is temporary, uh, like for example, protecting against the loss of an income earner, then term insurance may be most appropriate uh, because the need for insurance decreases as you get closer to retirement uh, because the impact of the loss of income is, is going to be lower, right? 
uh, the younger you are, the more uh, the, the more income there is to be lost in the future, right? Uh, so term is also overall cheaper than permanent insurance because the insurance company is no longer in the, on the hook after the term has passed. Um, if the risk that you want to insure against is, is more constant, uh, like for example, you're going to have a taxable estate, and so uh, um, you know you're going to have to pay estate taxes, then permanent insurance may be more appropriate. Um, to make sure that the insurance payout happens regardless of your own longevity. Um, permanent insurance tends to be, because of that reason, more expensive uh, than term insurance because the insurance company with permanent insurance is on the hook for paying out at some point, right? Because unfortunately, we all die at some point. Um, unless you let, for example, that the policy lapse. Um, examples of permanent insurance are um, whole life, where premiums are constant, uh, or universal life, where you typically have a little more flexibility in terms of uh, premiums and or death benefits. Okay, perfect. Now, what I want to get into next is maybe some of the reasons you would get life insurance uh, in the first place. You did a nice job there of kind of laying out the different types of life insurance. So, yeah, maybe if you would just walk us through some of the examples of why you would get insurance in the first place, you know, some of those kind of life-changing scenarios uh, that would require that. Uh, and then maybe as you go through those, maybe talk about uh, which insurance product, you know, may be the best fit uh, for each one of those scenarios. Um, so I think the the main example that uh, comes to mind for most people is when you're growing a family, right? Um, as soon as um, a child is born, um, you know, costs go up. And, of course, then at that point, while costs are going up, the, the impact of, of, of the loss of income, um, of, of, of a parent passing, it would be really high. And so um, we see that a lot when, uh, in, in our, uh, when we do financial plans, um, that uh, you know, as soon as a child is born, like parents automatically start thinking of, of life insurance. Um, in those cases, when we're trying to uh, protect against the loss of an income earner, um, term insurance can, can, can be quite appropriate because, um, as I said earlier, uh, the closer you get to retirement, the less uh, income there's still to be had, so the need for insurance goes down in that scenario. Um, and additionally, um, term insurance, especially when you're in your 30s or 20s, like, uh, is actually quite affordable. Um, so it, it's it's um, it can be uh, it can be quite quite appropriate for people. Um, another example I touched on earlier was um, let's say you um, were successful in life and you have uh, quite a large estate. Um, it's likely you're going to owe some estate taxes. And um, to ensure liquidity, to make sure that uh, at the time of passing that you're going to have um, enough enough money at, at, that, at that point to, to, to pay those estate taxes, life insurance may be, may be, may be a, good, uh, a good way to, to, to pay them. And then in that case, um, you know, permanent insurance um, may give you the most peace of mind because um, let's say you get term insurance just for 10 years because you think you're going to only live for 10 more years. But what if you, what if you keep living and, and you know, you're 13, 14 years longer? So uh, maybe uh, permanent insurance in a case like that might be, may be more appropriate. Um, maybe one more example is um, um, most of us have life insurance through, through employment, but that's group insurance. Uh, it's tied to that specific employment. So if you change jobs and your new uh, place of employment does not offer you group life, then uh, you're not going to have insurance. Um, and that's why it, it may be, um, even if you have group life insurance, it may still be appropriate to also uh, buy a personal policy 
that is tied to you as a person and not to uh, the specific employer of which you're currently uh, employed. Um, so um, when you uh, when you're in a, a career, um, industry where you change jobs frequently, um, ensuring that you have a personal life insurance policy uh, uh, may also be uh, appropriate. Great. Now, yeah, if I was hearing you correctly, I think the simplest way to break that down is the key variable really is how much somebody else depends on you and your earning stream. That really drives, you know, the decision of to get insurance, how much. And so I know you and your team spend a lot of time uh, working with our clients and other financial planning clients uh, to really help them make that decision of, you know, the type of insurance they need and just the amount, because it can get kind of complicated uh, when you have a lot of those variables at play, you know, how long to get that term insurance, how much uh, do you need? So uh, I know that's a key step in our financial planning process uh, that you spend a lot of time with on our clients. Um, now we've got, uh, looks like a few minutes left here before the top of the hour. Uh, maybe you want to shift gears just a little bit. We've been talking about life insurance so far. Uh, and there's another major category of insurance that I think is just as important, uh, and that's disability insurance. Uh, so, Dries, maybe if you would, uh, maybe just kind of set the table here again, just, you know, what is disability insurance and, and maybe what role does that play uh, for our listeners out there? So, disability income insurance may be um, less on top of people's uh, minds, uh, less so than, than life insurance, but it's actually also really important because the probability of, of becoming disabled is higher than, than uh, passing prematurely. Um, so uh, it, is, it is quite important now. The good news is that, similarly again, um, a lot of uh, uh, places of employment actually offer you disability, group disability income insurance uh, by default. Um, so it, 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 um, people might not even realize it, but if they look at their pay stub, um, there's probably a line item there uh, for deduction for the uh, disability uh, insurance premium. So um, there tends to be two broad categories, uh, short-term, and long-term disability income insurance. But in essence, uh, the, the principle is the same. If you suffer a disability, you'll receive benefits until you recover or reach a certain uh, maximum or a certain age. Um, you know, under the terms of disability income insurance policies, you'll have to wait for a certain period of time after you become disabled before you can begin receiving benefits. That's called the elimination period. And think of it as somewhat of a, uh, a deductible. Um, it, it, uh, it functions somewhat the same way. Uh, it's designed to provide somewhat of a buffer for the insurance company, uh, and it's it's a way of, of, for them to share the risk that uh, they're not uh, on the hook for 100% of the cost, but there's also somewhat of a um, uh, um, of a uh, cost sharing going on there. Um, uh, short-term disability uh, uh, policies they may pay benefits for up to two years, although many policies pay benefits for only three months, six months, or one year. They're short-term. Uh, long-term disability uh, policies, they pay benefits uh, for a far longer period. For, uh, could start from a few years up to uh, you reach age 65. Um, it's important to uh, um, keep in mind that disability income uh, policies are designed to uh, replace income in case you become disabled. So um, I'm not a, um, I, I don't think there are, uh, I'm not aware of any policies you can buy after you retire because there's no more income to replace at that point, right? Uh, so it, it, sure. it's, it's typically only a factor while you are employed. Gotcha. 
Now, real quick here, we got just a few minutes left, but you mentioned that a lot of large employers uh, offer these type of disability insurance plans, but is it possible to get it outside of your workplace if for whatever reason your workplace doesn't offer that? Uh, yeah, yes, um, definitely. Um, so again, it's the same thing as with the life insurance. It's uh, If it's offered through your uh, place of employment, it's gonna be tied to your specific employment there. Um, if, if you change jobs, uh, it, that policy is not going with you. Um, so in case, um, that, that's why um, in case you are in an industry, again, where you change jobs maybe a little more frequently, it, and uh, it may be uh, uh, better to, to buy a personal policy uh, to make sure that regardless of your place of employment, you have disability income insurance. Gotcha. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Dries. Uh, you did a nice job running through there. Yeah, that's obviously a huge topic. We could spend a whole probably couple hours just talking about uh, the insurance world. So nice job uh, summing things up. Uh, so that really does it for our show today. Uh, thank you for joining us today at Busey Wealth Management. Uh, we're here to, to help you, uh, your business, and your loved ones navigate the financial complexities and challenges you may face throughout your life. Uh, so if you feel that you could use our services, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to one of our experienced advisors. Uh, we can set you up uh, with a number of people and you can work with uh, Dries and his team who just do a fantastic job. Uh, so you can reach us today at 217-365-4800. And this is Aaron Sutton. And like I said, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll be back in another month uh, for another Busey Money Talk. Uh, but you've been listening to Busey Money Talk, News Radio 1400, WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Money Talk. Tune in the third Thursday of every month at 1030 a.m. for more Money Talk. Brought to you by Busey Wealth Management. Right here on News Talk 1400, WDWS. News Talk.